0: This is Ian Perry. Welcome to Keeping Green. Broadcasting from the University of Calgary at 90.9 FM on Treaty 7 land and Métis Region 3. On this episode of Keeping Green, I speak with Grace Wark of the Alberta Wilderness Association and Becky Best Burtwistle of the Canadian Parks and Wilderness Society about the recent cutbacks to Alberta parks.
1: This is a difficult time to be taking protected areas out of our system.
2: And in perspective of the provincial budget, that's uh, 0.089% of the entire
0: budget. Stick around. Well, spring is finally upon us, and we're all very keen to get outside, especially since COVID-19 kept us all so housebound. But with the provincial government's recent decision to make cuts to Alberta's provincial parks and recreation areas, we might not be able to enjoy the outdoors like we once did. What I am about to read comes directly off of the Alberta Parks website. 20 parks in 2020, I wonder if they intended that. Will be fully closed or partially closed, with the partially closed ones experiencing no further service to campgrounds and other facilities. Shortened operating seasons will come into effect. Beginning in the fall of 2020, there will be no more grooming or track setting at three cross-country ski sites in the Kananaskis region. And visitor centers in the Kananaskis and Elbow Valleys will be closed well base rates for camping go up three dollars alberta parks has identified hundred and sixty four sites that will be up for public partnerships well details about this were supposed to come out on may first but it's saturday may 9th, and we haven't heard anything about it and all of this just to save a little money five million dollars to be exact now all of this got me thinking what can we expect with all of these changes to our Alberta parks and recreational sites? So to talk about it, I brought in my friends from the Alberta Wilderness Association and the Canadian Parks and Wilderness Society. Joining me first is Grace Wark from AWA. And then coming into the conversation a bit later is Becky Best Birtwhistle from Seapaws. Grace Wark, is that how I say your name? Yes, that's correct. You are with the Alberta Wilderness Association. I'm glad to have you guys back on the show. This is obviously a very current issue right now, Alberta parks uh, and the cutbacks we're experiencing. Um, obviously, it's it's a big topic of debate um, uh, between the public and representatives of the government mm-hmm. but just to jump into a question I have um, there's no doubt some of these areas uh, recreation areas in particular are what you might call postage stamp yeah. size um, with little significance uh, ecologically and I'm not sure if if that is true um, mm. what does it mean for protected area networks though if you take mm-hmm. out an albeit small link and and can you maybe elaborate a little bit on that?
1: Sure. Yeah. And and um, you know, to start, I think I would maybe argue quite the opposite. While these sites may be small um, from an ecological perspective, they're they're absolutely important. When we think about our protected areas network, we not only think about the total area that it covers in our province, which is important. You need to have, you know, large cores of habitat for certain species. But at the same time, we think um, about connectivity. So this is how uh, you have large cores of protection that but then between them you need small sites like these to essentially act as, as stepping stones of mm. habitat they can be refugia for you know migrating large mammals or uh, migratory birds in need of a stopover and that's that's what makes them so immensely important is they, they provide those linkages um, between right. Other areas of protection. Um, so, you know, one good example of this is, is Littlefish Lake Provincial Park, which is actually on the list um, to be removed, yeah. and it has um, habitat, nesting habitat for an at-risk species, piping plover, mm-hmm. which which nests on the on the, the sandy shores of the lake. Um, and so, you know, when you when you change the management of that area, when you bring in maybe a private partnership, or if these lands are converted. To your public lands, you don't know what the the regulatory mechanism mechanism is going to be for managing sensitive habitat anymore, um, and so that's why you know even though they may be small, we think that these areas are just important for those those microhabitats and for those stopovers.
0: Yeah, well, I want to read a little quote um, from the government website. Um, these proposed changes account for less than one percent of the Alberta parks land base and would not impact protected areas managed for conservation. Uh, just the first part of the statement, less than 1% of the Alberta land base. But this seems misleading to me because 1% removal from the provincial land base could equate to 100% removal from a vast area of the province where where it, parks are are not representing much area at all. Like the grassland and mm-hmm. the parkland system, um, they're underprotected. So, how much worse off now are these areas based on this decision? Mm.
1: No, I think I think that's a really excellent point. You know, our, our grasslands and our parkland in Alberta are the most underrepresented uh, regions in our province as far as it comes to protection. So. The grasslands natural region only has 1.25% of its land base protected, which is likely changed now under this decision. And then the parkland had 0.9% protection. Mm. So, um, you know, I don't have the exact numbers for how these percentages have changed under this decision. But, you know, taking Mm. a quick look at the map, you can see, at least in the grasslands, how how taking away something like the Old Man Dam PRA, uh, which covers around 48 square kilometers uh, being taken out of the system, um, where the grasslands has a total of 1,250 square kilometers of protection. You know, that that yeah. relative amount is a big chunk. And, and, you know, we're in no position right now to be taking away protected areas from these incredibly developed and populated regions of our province.
0: Yeah. Um, and I just wanted to touch on the idea of reduced services. So, mm-hmm. you know, some places will remain... Uh, accessible, but without uh, toilet and garbage collection, does this seem like a horrific scenario?
1: Yeah. No, I, I, I definitely think it does, especially when we've grown accustomed to having these amenities around. Yeah. Um, so, you know, a good example of this is that these sites, you know, if they don't find a private partnership, they might turn into vacant public lands.
0: Yeah. And
1: while I, I firmly believe that our public lands are an absolute resource and a benefit um, here in Alberta, we've seen many instances of how they can be mismanaged when they don't have these services available. So, you know, I've I've seen myself when when I went out to the Wipers Public Lands or camped in in McLean Creek, mm. um, how you know there can be illegal dumping, there can be burning garbage and trail redding, um, and this is because uh, you know it's not perceived of of having those rules in place or, or having that enforcement or monitoring and so a lot of this lawless behavior can actually take place which can result in a lot of environmental degradation and you know we've seen this as well um during the shutdowns the park shutdowns uh that have happened during COVID-19 where you know we had to shut down bathrooms for for public safety reasons and and garbage services but it already resulted in a lot of you know um improper waste disposal where parks actually had to go back and clean up um and Mm. so this is this is you know, kind of what we could expect to see if we don't have proper management and regulation, yeah. um, which the park system had mechanisms in place
0: for. I then brought in Becky best Whistle of the Canadian Parks and Wilderness Society. And I was curious about whether there are success stories of municipalities taking the reins on provincial parks.
2: Yeah, there actually was a really good example in Alberta. Um, so I don't know if you're familiar with Sylvan Lake. Hmm. Um, But Sylvan Lake Provincial Park was transferred to the municipality of Sylvan Lake in 2018. Um, And so basically what that park was, it's like a small stretch of beachfront. um, And there was a significant consultation conducted by the government about this transfer. They consulted both with directed stakeholders and the public. And then the government also provided the municipality with a one-time payment of about $2 million to ensure that all the facilities mm. and maintenance was up to provincial standards. Okay. So I think that was a great example of how it can be done well, and especially in Sylvan Lake because there's a number of commercial interests in the area. It's really busy. There's lots of businesses right on the beach.
0: Yeah,
2: I think it's an example where a municipality can actually make money. Um, but that, I don't think the sites that are being um, sacrificed to this optimizing parks plan are like the Sylvan Lake case. There are a lot of sites um, impacted by this plan that fall in Kananaskis, And that's not even in a municipality. It's in an improvement district. Yeah. So I think that it, you know the, the municipality answer isn't the catch-all here. And need, neither neither is private operators. majority of these sites are little provincial recreation areas. And they're quite small in area. Uh, they're probably going to be like a parking lot or a pullout. And it has an outhouse and garbage um, disposal for folks to use. And it's very hard to make money on these. And the government has even admitted that's why they want to hand them off because yeah. they can't make money on them.
0: Well, yeah.
2: like if the government isn't making a profit, how are they expecting small operators to effectively make a profit?
0: And should our provincial parks even be for profit? Here's Grace Wark again.
1: I, I do want to address the first part of what you said about about you know whether they should be yeah. for profit or not for profit because I think something that the government inherently hasn't addressed in this decision is is they're, they're treating our park system as, as a a financially struggling system. When instead, you know, I see it as an investment into the health and well-being of Albertans. They're making these sites accessible at, at low cost. They, you know, there, there are many of them nearby. Um, and, it's an investment and so that you, know, you can have this relationship with nature and be able to get out of the city uh, during times that are stressful to find a bit of, of peace and quiet. Uh, you know, how, how easy will it be to turn a profit doing this? Um, and that, that turns back to my points about decentralization. There's most likely going to be a cost to establish these systems that the park system already had in place. You know, not having the resources necessary, especially for small towns, uh, to be able to manage first site ecology and to provide that same robust recreational experience. So you know yeah. Yeah, I think I think it'll be really challenging to um, for small groups to make a profit here.
0: And what about the nonprofit option? Here's Grace work.
1: With nonprofit groups taking over we've seen excellent cases with like the Hungry Band Sand Hills or JJ Collette Natural Area. Where voluntary societies have come in, they've done excellent work for trail management and education, um, which has resulted in these these spaces yeah. operating still as you know functional parts of the park system. Hmm. Um, but the problem with decentralization is it's it's always going to result in cost. It's always going to result in a shift because hmm. you know there was already a system in place for this, and mis- municipalities maybe don't necessarily have things like uh, dedicated biologists or people carrying out environmental assessments that the park system had. um, And so you might not see that same level of environmental protection taking place. So, you know, I think that Mm. there are instances where this can be really well done, um, but you still need that that kind of regulatory backstop to make sure Sure. that, you know, we're still managing for site ecology.
0: And, And what is so significant about $5 million in the grand scheme of things? I mean, There is something in uh, environmental economics um, called ecosystem services, Mm -hmm. and one of those is enjoyment value. And we expect that that $5 million will make more of a difference somewhere else. I mean, well-being is a very important aspect of our economic success. Mm -hmm. If people don't come back from the summer having rested and and experience the outdoors in a more meaningful way then yeah. would that not have a worse effect than the loss mm-hmm. of 5 million dollars on the economy?
1: No, absolutely. Like you can you can put the 5 million dollars in context in one by one way by saying it's 5 million dollars out of a 57 billion dollar budget which makes it seem comparatively quite small.
0: Here's Becky Best whistle again.
2: And in perspective of the provincial budget that's a uh, 0.089 percent of the entire budget and then if you want to work that out to a dollar value um, for each alberton it's a dollar and 14 cents um so really for the impact that it has because this this alleged five million dollars they're going to save and we haven't seen the numbers on that too right so i would urge people to question if that's the actual true savings um that five million dollars is affecting 37 percent of all the parks in the system and three-quarters of all the provincial recreation areas. So it's, like, massive for a very, very small and inconsequential financial saving.
0: And what about the money that's generated because of tourism to our provincial parks?
1: When, you know, you drive to a camping site, you have to stop through a gateway community to pick up different resources.
2: You know, they shop at outdoor retailers, they hire guides and outfitters, they stop at local coffee shops on the way to hike, All of these things are economic benefits that the government can guarantee for nominal upfront investment. The Outdoor Recreation
1: Council of Alberta also has found that outdoor rec probably brings in around $4 billion of economic value a year, Mm. which is comparable to other major sectors uh, like canola or forestry, as well as. Yeah, for for health and well-being, for, you know, reducing health costs to the system, um, as well as providing, you know, those other ecosystem goods and services like clean air and fresh water, things that we would have to pay for if these protections were in
0: place. I asked both organizations which members of the public would be losing out the most as a result of the government's decisions. First, Becky best whistle with CPAWS.
2: I mean, I think that any privatization of services is a loss to Albertans because it means that service is no longer a guaranteed public good. Fees can be increased and standards can fall. Hmm. So, um, when a public park, when we have public parks, it it guarantees access to recreation for all, all Albertans, no matter if they're families from Calgary just day tripping out to Kananaskis or kids like learning to fish in small towns like I did. I I do think, though, there is also an emphasis on negative effects for rural folks. Lots of the, quote, underused areas, and I would just like to pull that underused um, language that the government is using into question Mm -hmm. because they don't actually collect day use and the day visitation statistics. So we don't actually know that a majority of these areas are underused, but a lot of them are in rural areas, and like rural people deserve chances to go camp close to home safely, especially now that there's going to be travel restrictions in place for the rest of the summer. The government has said they're going to reduce all um, camping capacity by 50% for COVID. So each campground is only going to be at 50% capacity, which I think that's fair. Um, But then they also neglect to mention that this plan um, would cut 31% of campsites from the public system. So are they going to go through with that while also reducing yeah. total capacity by 50%? Like, what does that leave for people?
0: And now Grace Wark from the Alberta Wilderness Association.
2: You know, from that equality
1: perspective, there are folks who, who you know, may no longer be able to access these sites, even if they turn into public lands. Um, there are a lot of different cohorts who may not be comfortable yeah. venturing onto public lands for various reasons, whether they're uh, seniors or new Canadians or young families. Yeah. You know, it helps to have the comfort of these spaces being low cost and having those reliable amenities there. Also, I think that, uh, you know, the, the municipalities and the nonprofit groups and indigenous groups where these, the responsibilities being transferred to may be uh, losing groups as well because, you know, uh, we're essentially the government is offloading costs. And so yeah. with municipalities especially, I see them as a publicly funded agency. The cost to the public isn't necessarily being reduced, but it's just changing from one hand to another. And then the last loser is, of hmm. course, um, the ecosystems that surround each of these sites. So we, there's no certainty of how they're going to be managed. And uh, really, we want just a lot more transparency in how this issue is being dealt with so that we can, yeah. we can understand what the consequences are really going to be.
0: And what can be said about these parks that are being optimized by cost savings elsewhere?
2: Um, I don't think they've really addressed any existing facilities, Um, and they've also uh, neglected to release further details of their plan. It was supposed to be released May 1st, um, and then they changed their mind to this past Monday, which was May 4th, Hmm. Um, and now they said they're going to be putting it off till the end of the month. Um, So, yeah, I I think that there's, uh, you know, we're really being left in the dark here about what's going to happen.
0: I then wanted to get both CPAWS and AWA's take on the public response to the cutbacks in Alberta parks. You have been uh, part of a couple of town halls, as I understand it. And what have you been hearing from people then regarding the cutbacks to parks?
2: Um, Yeah, it's been really amazing the response we've seen from folks. And I personally wasn't expecting people to be disengaged with the issue as we've been dealing with a global pandemic. But I think that you know when the parks were closed because of COVID for public safety, I think that really underlined to people how important having access to parks are for our daily lives. And I think it kind of freaked a lot of people out to know that once everything is you know whenever we can return back to normal, having so many sites um, sacrificed to this quote optimizing parks plan is incredibly problematic. And so we hosted. two online town halls, and the first one was actually, like, sold out. We don't have the fanciest Zoom account, so we were at capacity, which was 300 people, uh-huh. um, which was really amazing, and we were not expecting that response. And so then we were able to hold a second one as well, and we had representatives from the recreation community. We had some youth representatives. Uh, we had grassroots organizers on all talking about how it affected them. Um, but, you know, I think what we also learned was a lot of Albertans are still super confused about this plan. Yeah. So for both of our town halls, we are just getting so many questions about what does this mean? And when the government says this, like, there's a lot of confusion. And I think it's because the government knows that this plan isn't maybe the strongest and they've been changing and backtracking on a lot of stuff they've said already.
0: I then asked Grace Wark to talk about the park stories that the AWA had received from members of the public.
1: So about two months ago, when this this decision was first announced, we put out a call for, uh, you know, what are your most treasured stories about these 164 sites um, that are being removed from the park system? And, you know, what I found most astonishing that it wasn't just like, oh, this is my favorite hiking trail. This is my favorite camping site. But these were these were truly memories. You know, we had folks writing in saying this is where I met my husband. This is where we Mm. celebrated my child's birthday. And so even though these sites might be small, they are, you know, truly capturing these memories. It's very personal to Albertans. And I think that's really what's driven, uh, you know, why people care so much about um, this issue and and, and that the sites are being removed. Um, Another thing that I found particularly incredible, too, is that they weren't just bringing up the uh, recreational values of these sites. They were also acknowledging the ecological values of these sites. Um, One of my favorite stories was from uh, the Sheep Creek PRA, uh, which is in in, uh, kind of uh, east central Alberta uh, at the top of the foothills. And um, uh, one of our members remarks that 15 years ago, she was there with her mother. They saw a herd of hundreds of woodland caribou. Hmm. And that's something that, you know, firstly, it would be pretty difficult to to recreate that memory today with the current status of of caribou being a threatened species. But also... Something that would be difficult to see outside of a protected area, you know they're they're yeah. there to provide quiet spaces with with minimal disturbance, and so to have a memory like that is is just completely irreplaceable to me.
0: and some final thoughts from grace work.
1: This is a difficult time to be taking protected areas out of our system yeah our, our province has made uh, commitments to biodiversity, commitments to protecting more of our province and actually acknowledged in the last budget that they want to protect. 17% of Alberta's land base by the year uh, yeah, 2021. Yeah. And so this just doesn't seem to be computing with, with mm. taking out areas from our protected areas network. Um, so that's really something that, that I would like to see them address. And, and uh, you know, we're hopeful that maybe this decision can be reversed because Albertans really do care about uh, their parks and protected areas.
0: So where can listeners go online to uh, further protest this and to mm. make the... Um, the efforts toward forcing a, a change of mind in in the government.
1: Yeah, absolutely. So you can you can visit our our website, um, AlbertaWilderness.ca, as well as there are a number of different groups that have uh, created automated letters. So you can get in touch uh, with your the minister, uh, the premier, and your local MLA. So this is this is really the important thing to do right now is to reach out to your elected officials to let them know that you don't agree with this, this decision, um, and to tell them your story about you know, why you care about these particular protected areas.
0: And from Becky Bass to Whistle, It's
2: really critical, um, especially for folks here in Calgary, um, to reach out to their MLA and tell them this is a bad idea. We know that we've had, you know, over 5,000 letters go to the minister just through the CPOS letter writing tool, and that's just from in the province. We've had another um, 5,000 from out of the province go into the minister as well. Mm. And I know that lots of folks are writing their own emails and making their own calls. you know, I would like to note that this uh, uh, change to the park system on this scale has never happened in Alberta, and it's never happened anywhere in the country. And I think there's a reason for that. Um, you, during the Klein government, they tried to privatize a large chunk of parks, and they backed off of it because of public opposition. Oh. And so I think this government is about to find out and is currently experiencing <laughs> um, why no other government in the country has ever done something like this. So, mm. I would massively encourage folks to keep it up, keep getting on the phones, keep emailing your MLAs, tweet at them. They all spend too much time on Twitter, um, and make mm. sure that they know how
0: you feel about it. Wow, oh, that's awesome. Well, Becky Best Burt Whistle, thank you very much for joining us. Um, it's been a pleasure, and we'll hope for the very best in this. Well, that's our episode. Thanks for listening. To find out more about Alberta Parks and what's going on right now, go to albertawilderness.ca and cpaws.org and reach out to your local government representatives to let them know how you feel about massive cuts to Alberta Parks facilities throughout the province. Remember to find us on Instagram at keeping green And until next time, Alberta, remember, keep it green.